Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the Kalpa Conversation Show. John Suntress here. Man, a great conversation today with J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, you know his excellent work in comics that go back to things like Spider-Man, Craven's Last Hunt, uh, the great Legends of the Dark Knight Batman story, Going Sane, where the Joker actually becomes sane for a while. Well, uh, J.M. is bringing his magic back to animation. He's been doing wonderful animation work over the years. Things like Justice League Unlimited, the great Thundercats cartoon from a couple years ago, and uh, lately, a lot of Warner direct-to-video animation. He did Batman vs. Robin last year, the second part of the Batman Damian Wayne story, the son of Batman. Well, it all wraps up in part three. It comes out this Tuesday on Blu-ray and DVD, and it's also available now on video streaming from things like iTunes and Amazon. Batman Bad Blood. Uh, JM, Marcus, he's better known, uh, wrote the script. But as he says, it's a very collaborative process, and we get into the details on that. But uh, this is really a Nightwing story where he leads uh, the Batman family to uh, discover if uh, Batman truly is dead or not. Uh, as we said, I don't think we're spoiling by, by pointing that out, but it's uh, a great introduction to Batwoman for an animated film, uh, to Batwing, uh, Luke Fox, the son of Lucius Fox, of course, uh, Bruce Wayne's right arm at uh, Wayne Enterprises. And uh, man, it is just fantastic. It's a great audio cast. Um, the, the video is great. The animation is terrific. And also, it's a harder-edged animated story. It's definitely pushing that PG-13 almost into our territory. And I think Batwoman fans are going to be pleased because it's a very genuine portrayal of her as a lesbian character. And uh, I think it gives Luke Fox a great animated debut and gives his backstory very well. So uh, we talked to JM about those. We also uh, talk about uh, some comic book stuff he's got going on. Of course, he and Keith Giffen continue to kill it every month in uh, Justice League 3001. A very interesting take on the Justice League that uh, combines the bwahaha with uh, a neat look at uh, a potential DC universe. And uh, lots of interesting things have been happening to those characters in the 15 issues of uh, Justice League 3000 so far. And uh, man, I'll tell you, issue 8 just came out this week. Uh, When we spoke, uh, I hadn't read it yet. But uh, Supergirl is leading the team. And some very interesting things are happening. And uh, Mark not only talks about uh, the basics of the book, but even addresses, I think, a momentary controversy that came up last year with the characterization of Guy Gardner trapped in a woman's body. And we'll go into the details of that and a whole lot more. We take questions from Word Balloon listeners. It was just wonderful talking to J.M. Mark DiMatteis on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Uh, And uh, really... Uh, the contributions come through uh, Patreon.com, and uh, you know people are, are being very nice. They don't have to subscribe to Word Balloon, but people are doing it, and I thank you very much for that support. It makes going to conventions easier and uh, keeping my equipment a, a little bit more updated as I'm uh, fiddling with my new microphone and getting that right setting. 
But uh, if you can spare a dollar a month, that's terrific. If you go to the front page of wordballoon.com, you'll uh, see a Patreon ad right there. If you click on that, it will take you to the Patreon page or click on the tab at wordballoon.com. And there's a couple videos just explaining uh, why I'm, I'm, I'm asking for some subscription money. Again, you don't need to do it. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause, you could do it by supporting Word Balloon through Patreon. Uh, go to wordballoon.com for more information. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where great deals are happening every week on uh, tremendous books. Uh, they are uh, books that uh, you know are, are being reprinted, things like uh, Supergirl, The Girl of Steel, written by Jeff Loeb and drawn by Ian Churchill. It was the first arc of uh, Jeff's run on Cir Supergirl back in the day. 50% off, just $8.49. You can get Avengers, The Death of Mockingbird, Man, that's a great story that goes back to the 80s. Wonderful Hawkeye, Mockingbird story. Uh, good West Coast Avengers stuff. 50% uh, off, $17.49. From Matt Kitt, his excellent series Mind Mag Management continues from Dark Horse. Volume 6, The Immortals, is available at 50% off, $9.99. How about uh, Kurt Busiek doing an interesting take on uh, Superman with Stuart Immerman. Secret Identity, the deluxe edition. Great story. We've talked to Kurt and Stuart about that in the past. 50% off, just $14.99. Um, you can get Lazarus from uh, Greg Rucka and Mike Lark. In fact, we just had Greg on talking about the most recent arc. Uh, volume 4, Poison, is available at 45% off, $8.24. Pick up all four volumes. That's an excellent series and, and really one of my favorites that's out there. Uh, you can get from Joe Casey, uh, uh, Sex uh, with uh, Peter uh, Kowalski. Daisy Chains is uh, the latest uh, trade for volume four. 45% off, $8.24. Um, Swamp Thing, volume seven. Uh, Charles Soule, just still killing it on Swamp Thing. Season End is uh, the name of that story. And uh, it's 45% off, $9.34. But that's just a few of the great books that you'll find at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great savings. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. And you will find books that you can't believe at prices you can't believe. InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's uh, pick up our conversation with Mark DiMatteis. And uh, it's, it's great to welcome him back. Um, if there are things like uh, I mentioned Going Sane and Craven's Last Hunt, you won't hear a lot of talk about those in this conversation. Um, that's because Mark's been on before. And uh, we talk about uh, those and, uh, you know, also his uh, Augusta Wind. That comes up in this conversation. But Abadazad and things like that. So it's not our first uh, trip on the merry-go-round with uh, Mark Dimitris. And uh, I do urge you to go back uh, through the Word Balloon archive and listen to our previous conversations as well. But uh, very current, very uh, interesting thoughts on uh, the animation process and uh, what's going on in uh, comics, television, and film. A great conversation with Mark DiMatteis happens now on Word Balloon. Talking to our next guest answers one of those classic pre-convention podcast world questions, because a lot of times we see his name and, and we don't know how to pronounce it. So it is Jam DiMatteis joins us back on Word Balloon. I am so glad to welcome you back, Mark. Thank it's you, been John. far too long. Happy to be Absolutely. Here. As we talk about Batman Bad Blood, what are your two prior animation projects? Because you're constantly doing animation. Well, and it's always like, oh, yay. I've been so, doing it for, God, pretty regularly for the past maybe 12 or 13 years or more now. So, you know, I've, I've written for Justice League Unlimited and Batman Brave and the Bold and 
Thundercats and uh, Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes and Ben 10, tons of stuff. And last year uh, was the movie that was the prequel to this one, uh, Batman vs. Robin. Okay, the and, second part in this right, kind of trilogy. Right. The, first, the first part of the trilogy I did not write. I wrote okay. Batman vs. Robin and I wrote this one. So this is Excellent. this. this uh, I, I think pretty. I think completes the trilogy. You never know, but I think. Uh, well, yeah. go on. And no, no, no. That's all. I didn't have anything else profound to say beyond. That. Okay, I won't spoil. It's not an after credit scene, but you the the story ends on uh, somebody showing up at the very end. Yes. Yeah. And I won't say who, but that's pretty awesome as well. And and I have to tell you, that's something they put in. After I was done. So it was a surprise to me, too. Wow. <laughs> very cool. It's a great surprise, though. It's, and, it's very, it's, and it's so short and so sweet, but very well done. Excellent. Well, you know, maybe things to come if I get a chance to talk to James Tucker yeah. or <clears throat> Jay Oliva or is it Oliva or Avelia? Oliva, yeah. All right, like, like the ball player, like Tony yeah, Oliva yeah, yeah. back in the day. There you go. Very cool. So which, which, uh, it brings up something that I always like to get out of the way when I talk about these things, writing for television and film in general and – Please. Working in animation, which is, you know, all these things are group efforts. So, you know, it says written by me up there, but it's, you know, I sit down uh, in the beginning. I sit down with Tucker. I sit down uh, with Alan Burnett and Mike Carlin. That's the brain trust over there. Mm-hmm. And we work this stuff out as a group. And we throw ideas around and they say, hey, we want to, here's the next movie. We want to do A, B, C, D, and E. Let's talk about it, and we'll, you know, we'll just talk. Maybe we'll have a couple of meetings, you know, two or three hours each as we get the ideas together. I write an outline. It goes back to them. They come back with notes. They go, you know, then I write a more complete outline. We go. So it's a, it's a process where there's a constant give and take, uh, a, lot of, a lot of input from those guys. And uh, so I always like to make that clear to people because both in terms of the praise, which I can't take all the praise because – it's a group effort, you know, and I can't take all the blame either if you hate it, you know, it's a group effort, <laughs> you know, uh, but the, I just want to say the great thing about working with these guys in particular is that they're all writers. Yes. So it's not like dealing with a studio executive who's never written a word in his life and is giving you notes on a script and, you know, someone might want to like strangle the guy, you know, these are guys that really know story. They know the DC universe. James Tucker, I think, knows the DC universe better than I do. He knows every little obscure corner of things, you know. <laughs> So uh, I hear you, man. And obviously, so does Carlin, you know. Um, oh, sure. And, and Alan Burnett is like brilliant. And so it's great to work with these guys. It's a, uh, I always say that when I when I work on TV or animation or anything like that, I, I you know you know in comics where even on on the big established characters we have so much room to put our personal imprint and do our stories our way, you know. Um, and then you know, when you have a creator own comics, forget it. You know, you can do whatever the hell you want. Nobody tells you boo. Uh, for this, I take off that hat and I put on my collaborator hat, and then it becomes. Then it's great fun. It's really great fun. I think the problem for people arises is if they don't want to put on a collaborator hat and think they're going to control the game. And then I could see where it'd be very frustrating. What do you mean you want me to change that? You know. Whereas if you're approaching it as a collaborator, uh, it's it's a great process, especially you know because most of us that are freelancers sit in rooms alone by ourselves. Um, and so to get to really work with a group of other people and a group of really smart people was a lot of fun. And that was a really long answer to a question that you didn't even ask. <laughs> no, but honestly, I, I really appreciate the information because I really think that a lot of us don't understand the mechanics behind 
uh, the animated films or television or, you know, film, films in general. Right. And, you know, so it's great to hear and also understand exactly what, how the process is and how it works. And also you've got an all-star lineup right there. Yeah. Really. I mean, they really are. I mean, you know, I've ever, you know, people know Alan Burnett or may or may not, but certainly, you know, one of those creative fathers of the Batman animated series going that far back yeah. with DC animation and being there for every facet. James has been on Word Balloon. And uh, a couple times, and I'm thrilled with how well things have gone as he's kind of taken over that Bruce Tim role right. of producer and everything. And as you say, because I had him on uh, for Brave and Bold uh, the first time, and it was the best thing in the world because he's like, you know, for me, these are almost like the Golden Age Batman stories. And it's like if we were like actually on Earth 2 playing with Golden Age Batman. And it just put this that show on a, such a great level for me. I had already liked it. But I liked it even more thinking that's fantastic. I loved, Absolutely. loved, loved writing. I did like seven episodes of that show. I was so sad when they when they canceled it because it was so much fun. And, yeah. and I got to play with so many different characters. And there was there was a lightness to it, but they were not afraid of doing a serious story, you know? And they would they seemed to throw me the some of the serious ones. I did the one with the Doom Patrol where they all died at the end. I did the one yes. where Red Tornado had a son and they basically had a mercy killing at the end, you know. Um, and I can think of all the little six year olds I must have traumatized, you know. But it was it was a great show. It was so much fun. And and that's one of the great things about Batman anyways, that there's so many ways to interpret that character and it's still Batman. But these yep. these movies are the exact opposite. They're very serious. They are not written for kids. They're, they're, you know, they're almost on the edge of an R rating in some ways, right up to the edge. Uh, they're very dark. They can be very brutal in places. Um, but that's the beauty of Batman. It's like you can do both those things. You can do Brave and the Bold, and then you can do this, something like Batman Family. And, uh, you know, the other thing I just wanted to say about this whole group thing, then, you know, my job becomes to execute whatever vision they have and yet at the same time bring as much of myself and my point of view and my vision to the table. You know what I mean? So it becomes yes, it sort is. of a fusion of all those things. Uh, sure. Absolutely. So do they, I mean, first of all, do you go out there? Do you do it all just constantly? Yeah, I mean, certainly with Skype today, you don't need to travel yeah, necessarily. I'm in New York. I, I make trips to LA periodically and I'll, I'll see those guys when I'm out there. But more often than not, most of the stuff that I've worked on, I've worked on from here and we do it over the phone. And, sure. uh, you know, we just all get on the phone and we talk. Um, it, you know, it would be easier probably if I was there sitting in the room. And the times when I've done it sitting in the room, it's it's great to just, you know, really sit down and be be with the guys and, and bounce this stuff around. Um, but it, it's it's very similar doing it over the phone. We just don't have to look at each other. So maybe it's better. <laughs> it was just a joke. It was just a joke. It's all right. I don't think maybe Carlin might be listening. I and maybe actually James might be listening. I doubt anybody right. else. So that's right. all right. right. Now, I mean, have you? Uh, I mean, get, sorry for the minutia, but I'm curious. Yes. Um, have you gone to uh, Burbank since they've like you know moved all the offices over? Do you notice a difference? Because obviously you've gone oh, prior to oh, the. You talking about the DC offices? Yeah. yeah, I was out there last winter. I was out there oh, for a project, and I went up there. It was before everybody had moved. Okay, it was just like maybe the month before. But those offices are amazing. Are they really? <laughs> they're just, I mean, they're the slickest, wildest uh, comic book offices I've ever seen in my entire career, you know? Um, sure. And, uh, you know, you can see this is like, hmm, this looks like Warner Brothers money, not comic book money. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but they're really, they're really, the offices are just, just beautiful. And, um, 
uh, hopefully I'll be getting I'll be getting out there sometime uh, uh, maybe in the next few months I'll go up and see what it's like when it's filled with people because when I was there you know they had their little skeletal staff the people that were up there and Carlin Carlin and I went up there and there was a person here or a person there and you know Shelley Bond was there and a couple of other editors and that was about it you know um, but now you know everybody's out there so I, I'm sure it's been uh, an interesting an interesting transition for all concerned. Absolutely. Are you involved with, uh, you know, I know they had the big writer retreat before uh, the conver- the post-convergence stuff came out. Are you involved with any sort of, I mean, I don't know what you can and can't say. I do have a new book coming out from D.C. that will be out, I think, in May, and it hasn't been announced yet. And it will be very surprising when it is. That's all I can say. Oh, excellent! Well, uh, that's good, man. We're not going to wait three years for the next conversation. Right, right. That's great. Yeah, but it's—I it, guarantee you—it will be very surprising because it was very surprising to me. Um, Interesting. And uh, that, that's really all I can say on that front. I understand. And and hey, man, that's—we'll let them serve their wine when it's time. Right, it's, exactly. it's 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 all right. And honestly, we—I want to talk JLA three three thousand one as well uh, because I've I've really enjoyed that. Is and I'm also curious. What the status is, because uh, you know, issue seven, it's it's still running, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, next good. Issue come, uh, what's today? Next issue, come, number eight, comes out tomorrow. In fact, oh, as we're recording, as okay, we're, great. Well, well, right. So, whatever. I don't know when this is going to be on, but it's coming out Wednesday, the twenty seventh. Whatever. Okay. And, well, the plan is to put this out before uh, Bad Blood, uh, the the DVD and and, and Blu Ray right, come out next, next Tuesday. Right. Okay. So by the time yeah. everyone's listening to this, issue number eight will be out. And it actually, what's interesting is issue number eight is really like a number one because it's it's really uh, it's a reboot because what's happened in recent months for those that are reading the book is that uh, it, things have taken a turn. A lot of the characters have died. And yeah. we have this whole new configuration of a almost but not quite all female team. I say not completely female because even though he's in a female body, Guy Gardner is still Guy Gardner. Uh, right. You know. So uh, and Scott Collins is taking over as the regular artist. And oh, fun! He's doing. I mean, Scott was always incredibly talented, but the work that he's turning in on this book is just my jaw drops every time a new page comes. It's uh, just beautiful, beautiful stuff. So this issue that comes out. Uh, on the 27th is really uh, it's a good one. It's a, it's a good one, and it's a great place for people to jump on because it's it's a new team and a new dynamic and a new artist and the whole thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And we will. I want to talk absolutely about uh, J- JLA 3001 because I've enjoyed it, and I do have questions of where you've left things, and that's good. And we can talk about that. But we'll all right. Bat, back to Batman: Bad Blood because okay. um, wow, I, I I really loved it. It it really ended the trilogy quite well. Also introducing more uh, Bat Family characters that people know from the comics, but it's great to see them get their animated film debut. I know there was a Batwoman uh, previous uh, film, but not the same Batwoman, correct? But I, I wasn't even aware that there was a previous one, so there you go. I want to say in the animated series universe that there was that mystery of the Batwoman uh, title, so the you know, but it it's not it's Kathy, not, it's not it's Kate. The continuity that 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 all because all of these are interlocked in a new continuity. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, and also uh, really cool that um you know, so you got Kate Kane Batwoman created by Greg Rucka and J H Williams. Right. You got um Batwing, which originally, and I really loved the African character that Judd Winnick had created, right. David, and I forget David's last name, but this of course is Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Graves. Right. Uh, Luke Fox, right. uh, the son of uh, Lucius, um, and 
it's really cool that you you guys were able to you know kind of I think very quickly give them their little origin stories with it within this and then also have them ingrained in and in important parts of the story. I yeah. thought I I thought it was very well executed of introducing them and giving them their moments. Yeah, well, and 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 Batwoman especially is 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 I think the prime focus. Not that not that Batwing doesn't have great moments in the story, uh, but 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 Batwoman is one of the one of the big sort of emotional through lines for the whole story. You know, the the difference between this one and and Batman versus Robin for me was Batman versus Robin was I, I tend to really. I have to go right for the emotional center of a story first to really understand it. And Batman versus Robin was really, really clear because it was a father and son story. And whatever else was going on around it, it was about Bruce and Damien finding themselves and finding each other and finding that relationship. It was clear as a bell from day one. And just as it's different, you know, writing a solo comic book and a, and a team book, this had so many characters that it took a while for us to go through it and really find those emotional through lines, you know, and for, and for Batwoman, it's really, uh, I'm not part of your family, but maybe I can become part of your family, but I'm an outsider, you know, and, and for, and it's, it's also a very big Dick Grayson story because it's about yes. his, his resistance to being sort of pulled. It's, it's like, you know, the Godfather, every time I get out, they keep pulling me back in again. <laughs> and he's trying to establish his own identity away from Bruce. And yet, uh, there he is. They need him, and he has to step in. And um, and of course, you know, Batman. Although because he, as I think people know by now, he disappears in the beginning of the movie. Uh, I don't think I give anything away by saying that he's not really no. dead. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I'm always astonished. To say, I'm always astonished when like Marvel or DC kills off one of these iconic characters, and the media jumps on it. And there are people that actually believe they're dead. No like shit. When, I, remember, I agree, man. Remember the death of Superman? And it was like, oh, my God, they killed Superman. And people really believed it. It, it, it astonishes me, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll even going back to that one. I was really kind of angry at my uh, my comic book store owner because uh, it was the last issue. Jonathan has the heart attack uh -huh. in the issue. And I'm like, so I know this is the, you know, I put air quotes, the end. But, you know, do, any word on what's coming up? And he's like, no, that's it. The story's over. He's dead. That's it. I'm like, really? I'm like, sir, you're an adult man, and I'm an adult man. And, you're, and we're having this conversation? Okay, good luck. Right. And I'm like, I guess I guess I'll find out in a few months. Right. And, uh, yeah, you know, but um, you're right, and I completely agree with everything you say. The cool thing is I think people see bad blood, and maybe from what they've heard or trailers might assume that it's uh, – Kind of a rewriting of Batman R.I.P., kind of a rewriting of uh, Battle for the Cowl. That, those were my instincts going into it. And I'm pleased to say that, no, there are maybe brushes of hints of those well, that's stories. Sort of what's been, what, the way they've been working, too, even with the last one, we used the Court of Owls, but we picked elements from the Court of Owls story. We were not doing an adaptation of the yes. Court of Owls. There were elements from a bunch of different stories that we threw into a pot and created a new story using a lot of these cool elements. I mean, Court of Owls is one of the, the coolest things to come along in, in Batman comics in years, you I bet. think. You, know? you bet. Uh, Absolutely. And I, to be perfectly honest, I was completely unaware of it until I, I started working on the movie. Then they sent me all the books, and I was like, oh, my God, this is great stuff. You know. So if there are lots of things that, that are showing up in this movie that come from the comics, a lot of them I'm not even, I don't even know, because they just come up in our discussions. We want to do this, this, and that. And then someone says, isn't that like that story? And I said, I don't know. I'm just writing this new, this new story. 
Um, so although they have influences from the comics, they, the, the, the idea with these at least is not to do adaptations, but to do something that pulls some familiar elements in, but really creates a new story and a new dynamic. And to get back to, you know, Batman being dead or not dead, um, he, he, it actually, it's a very interesting, it, it would, on some levels it would be better off if he was dead, because he does go through hell in this movie. When we finally, when we finally find him, it has not been an easy ride for him. Well, as you say, it's it's almost an R-rated uh, cartoon, and it's great how you guys go there. Yeah. And I mean that the under the go there, there is Kate Kane's very adult relationships yeah. with women. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean that is fantastic, and it is so great because you know, and it's funny we're in the atmosphere where Deadpool is about to come out. It's an R-rated movie. The, I, I don't know if, and and I know you're a social media guy as well. Yeah. You might have heard some people like. Oh, can't there just be a kid-friendly version of this? And it's like, you know, I'm really glad that every story is not safe for children. I, I appreciate and want children to like this stuff as well and get into it the way we got into it as little kids. But by the same token, you can't make every mystery uh, and shouldn't make mysteries only for, or, you know, a hardcore detective stories. You shouldn't make them only for adults. We wouldn't have had Encyclopedia Brown. Right. It swings the other way as well. Right. And I'm glad to see, because I think there was concern early on from DC Animation that they do want to make a, a, a product that was going to make money. And I think initially it was, well, you know, we better stay in that safe PG-13 zone just in case, you know, it, it might cost us money, you know, and th these things are expensive to make. And I, I don't, you know, that's great that this trilogy has been as hardcore, including the psychological stuff Batman right. goes through. But, you know, it's almost uh, hardcore you know. than the comics get. And I think that's the thing. You know, I mean, the comics, I don't think there's anything in this movie that wouldn't be in a Batman comic book, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's probably a truer translation. And, you know, the issue that you bring up is an interesting issue about how far should this stuff go? And I don't know if I have an answer. I mean, you look at something like Jessica Jones, which, mm -hmm. you know, that was, I mean, it was incredible. What'd you I think? It. I, I thought it was excellent. Like all that's excellent. Things, cool. I think, you know, maybe they could have done three hours less, but that's really being picky about it, you know? Oh, you're saying it, it could have been three hours earlier. Yeah. I was stepping on you. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was so well done and so well acted. And, and I really, really, really liked it. Um, but that was also based on a comic that was done for an adult audience right out, right, right out of the box, you know? Yep. Um, yes, I indeed. think the problem comes when you're taking characters that are presented generally to the public uh, in this middle ground, you know? And obviously, over the years, the middle ground has gotten pushed more and more and more and more, older and older. Mm -hmm. um, but so when you have a, we, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not passing any judgment on Deadpool. It might be the best movie ever made. I'm just looking at it uh, intellectually. Um, something like a character like Deadpool that has traditionally been presented in a in a in a PG or PG thirteen way, I would think, and suddenly you get a, an R rated movie. I understand why some people are uncomfortable with that. Uh, you know, if you're doing if you're doing an adaptation of a comic that is written basically as an R rated comic book, uh, written for adults, uh, and you make that into a movie, that's that's fair enough. You know, if you're going to make say Moonshadow into a movie. You got to do Moonshadow, and you're not going to take out the sex or the language or whatever. Right. It's going right. to be what it is. Um, the the you know the 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 problem is when you get involved with these characters that sort of uh, can tilt either way. You know, so so how far do you push it? When do you pull back? And there's there are no easy answers to those questions, and I think ultimately the answer has to be 
you have to be led by the story itself. I think if it feels natural within the context of the story, uh, then you follow the story. That's how, my rule in the end is always to follow the story anyway, so where the story leads you. But, you know, and if you're Marvel, if you're DC, you know, you're a big corporation and you have to watch it because especially in this, in this uh, social media world where everybody's analyzing everything, where someone sneezes yes. and it becomes a controversy, you know, <laughs> the, the very definition of controversy has certainly changed over the years. The stupidest, stupidest stuff in the world suddenly becomes a controversy, you know? So I understand yeah. why Marvel or DC would be a little, um, a little uh, leery, you know? And yet, so... It was a very ballsy thing for Marvel uh, TV to do Jessica Jones in the way that they did it, and it was no question. And they took a risk, and it paid off because it was really good. And, and you know, and David Tennant was just brilliant. I love David Tennant. So, yeah, me too, man. No hardcore, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I want to talk more TV and film with you later on. Yeah. But but uh, as far as Bad Blood yeah. goes, um, did you had you read? Because as you say, you know, uh, with uh, the second uh, movie, Batman, uh, Batman and Son. Um, you you know you some stuff you didn't know about like Court of Owls and things like that. How much did you know going in about Batwing or you know even you know Ruck, what Rucka and James Williams did with Batwoman? Uh, they, you know, I, I didn't really. And they, what they do is they send me the stuff, so I get more free comics. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> and so I read the stuff and I familiarize myself with it. But again, it's you know it's enough to get the basics, uh, but not be. Um, put in a cage by it. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, but it's always fun to read the stuff because I, I, I don't always keep up with what's going on out there. I'm focusing on, on my own work and, you know, life uh, keeps me busy. And and so it's nice to read this stuff and go, oh, these are really good comics. And, and uh, to get a sense of what's going on. Uh, the, the Batman stuff especially has been very interesting in recent years. And so, um, yeah, so, but, but it's also good not to be married to it. You know, if it was a sure. straight adaptation... It's a different story, but even when we did, you know, the first thing I ever did for Justice League Unlimited was uh, for the man who uh, has everything. Absolutely, and I wanted to talk about that. Come on. And um, I think it was very faithful in spirit to the story, but it certainly didn't follow every beat of that story. Things were changed. Some things were very much like it. Some things weren't. But, sure. but you know, I think the, the idea of an adaptation, and these aren't adaptations, but if you're doing an adaptation, it's more important to ca capture the essence of the story than the letter of the story. You know what I mean? You don't need every detail. What you want is to is that it feels true to the original story at its heart, you know? I do, and it's maybe it's an unfair comparison. And as a writer, you're I think gonna be able to speak to this. But it really seems like you guys were able to put a hell of a lot of story into Bad Blood compared to some of the six issue or, or five issue arcs that we get sometimes today. And I and I mean again, like you said, you had this huge cast and had to like kind of give everybody their moment, give origins to people like uh, Luke Fox and Kate Kane, Batwoman right. and Batwing. Um, again, I, I really think, and, I, and we've only briefly talked about it, Nightwing, uh, this is the closest thing we've gotten so far to a Nightwing-led movie. Yeah, and, I, and I know Nightwing fans are very happy yeah, about it's that. It's really his story more than anybody's in a lot of Yes. Well, and that's a great thing because, again, there's influences of – uh, Grant Morrison and what he did post Batman R.I.P. with Dick Grayson and, and Damien having to work together as Batman and right. Robin and that reluctance on on Grayson's part of finally, you know, I mean, and, and we've seen we've seen it in the decades as you've written the character and, and as I've been a reader. And I don't even, you know, back in the day, well, I guess we kind of even had that in Earth, too, when when you were probably reading and stuff with the Justice Society and you had the adult Robin 
kind of carrying on the mantle right, and stuff. Right, right, So it's really, it's again, it's those, like we said, different flavors of Batman, different flavors of Grayson over the years. And yeah, it was kind of great to see him struggle with that obligation, but also wanting to still be his own man. And uh, there's a great little moment with him and Damien. Yeah. Where Damien's very jealous and then Dick kind of sets him straight. Again, I don't want to spoil, but like, Good stuff, man. Yeah, and you know, you, you talk about, and there is, there's a lot. These movies are what they're like, maybe seventy minutes, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, um, they're 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 not that long, but they're packed. But that's you know what I've learned the past whatever fourteen years working in animation is there's a lot. Even those half hour shows, there's a yes. lot of story that goes on into those things. There's they're packed with action. But look at Justice League Unlimited. Yet there's so much, so much is based in character. There's great character arcs. There's tons of action. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into crafting. Uh, it's not even a half hour because you take out the commercials. It's 22 minutes, right? I was going to say 20 to 20 to 19 minutes, know, depending on the commercial. Well, two short. minutes of story, and it's true. There's a lot more story than you sometimes see in six or eight issues of a monthly comic book. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm from the old school where it's all about packing in as much story as you can, you know? Um, I do know. And, and, um, <laughs> and when you're working in animation, there's a lot of story. There's a lot of story and there's a lot of movement and it's uh, very challenging. I, you know, I go back to Justice League Unlimited. You know, the first one I did was for the Man Who Was Everything. And that's that was really focused, you know, just on a couple of characters and it was right. really more than anything Superman's story and it was very emotional and a lot of internal stuff. And then I think the second one they gave me, I forget I forget the name of it, but it had to do with uh, Lex Luthor and and. Uh, and I forget the, the android coming back to Earth, but they they said, okay, well, we're going to use basically every Justice League character that we've ever had is going to be in this episode, you know. And it was like I went from this nice intimate story to having to figure out, you know, how how to service eight thousand, you know, characters in one episode. Um, but that and then challenge. you you adapt you ad that's the challenge, as you said. Sorry, I was stepping out. You also adapted that Storenko Mister Miracle story, right? Right. Oh, that, oh was, that was really fun too. because you know, I, as you probably know, I, I'm just such a total Kirby geek. Yes. So to write Mister Miracle and Big Barter and Granny Goodness and Calabac and all these characters was f phenomenal. And then you know, the other great thing about writing for these shows is the great voices they get. That Mister Miracle episode, I'll never forget. It had Edward Asner as <laughs> Granny Goodness. Right? Had yep. Artie Johnson, remember from Laughing? Yes. Those are, who were old enough to remember as Vermin Wunderbar. Doing his, like, Laughing Nazi yeah, exactly. and stuff. Oh, it was and, great. Very interesting, but stupid. Michael <laughs> Doran, you know, uh, Worf. Yes. Know, Calabac. I mean, well, it's like this pop culture collision from all these different directions, <laughs> you know? Um, they get great, great actors on these things, you know? Uh, uh, it's really. Uh, so, so it's 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 very satisfying in a very different way than working, you know, on your own comic book is. Uh, it's a different world and a different way of doing it, but it's really very satisfying. And then also, you know, it goes out there and it reaches millions of people. That's not Understood. bad. You know, that's not bad. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, and another thing too, and it's interesting because I really do hope that that uh, any comic writers that might be listening, because I do luckily have pros, you know, that that do listen to the show. The great thing is, and in fact, uh, Vito Del Sante uh, said, uh, you once gave him the best piece of writing advice, write like it's your last book. And I think that's terrific. You guys have that closing scene, and again, I don't need to describe it, but it is on par with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or the first Avengers movie, or even the second, in terms of big budget action. And it's interesting that, yes, we get that sometimes in comics, but sometimes, especially with the street-level characters, they forget about that. 
And there really is this kind of big movie epic vibe in this film. And a lot of that, a lot of that is Jay Oliva because you know uh, uh, he that's it. he really really uh, does does action just brilliantly. And you know so you know I'll write a sequence in the script and then I see what it becomes when they're done with it when they're done storyboarding and building it and and it it just it gets so huge you know bigger than i ever imagined when i was writing it and that's part of the the process and that's part of the collaboration um and he you know he he really 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 uh he knows how to do action and he does it very very well and you're right that that and it really works in this movie it built i i think in in general it it can be a problem with superhero movies it works really really well in this movie i think the problem that you run into is with now that there's a superhero movie out every week in the theaters, I'm not talking about the, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the animated movies. You know, anima- it's funny too. I'll, I'll, I'll sidetrack. Animation creates a different world. It's not the same as live action. It creates another dimension that's somewhere between the comic book page and a live action movie. And in a lot of ways, it's it's a much better representation of what we get on the comic book page. You know, agrees um, absolutely. It's, yes, it's 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 it's, a, it's like this strange in between dimension. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's its own thing. And you can push things in animation that play differently in live action that would play differently on the page. And it, it really, it's, it's in a way, it's the best of all those worlds. I think what you run into, what I feel anyway, as an audience with the, with the superhero movie of the week that seems to show up in our movie theaters now is that the third act, um, explosion, for lack of a better thing to call it, sure. starts to get redundant after a while, unless you do it really, really well. You know, and I think what you're saying is that in this movie they did it really, really well. You know, I I am I am because it, it, it evoked it Captain a, America: Winter Soldier to me. Go it on, had please. emotional stakes, and you know, but sometimes I'm yeah. sure you've had the same experience. I'm not going to single out a movie by name, but you know, you sit there and you go, okay, this was a really good movie, and now they just know that they had to have these these guys beat the crap out of each other for 20 <laughs> minutes. Cause that's what happens in the third act. Yep. You know. And, you know, one of the movies I go back to that as, as an example of doing it right was um, The End of X-Men First Class. That whole big fight thing going on at the end, it was all based in character. It was mm-hmm. all about, uh, you know, the turn of characters and how they shifted and how they were pushed and what they moved. And so whatever action came out of that. And that in the best of all possible worlds, that's what you want. If you have to have your big third act explosion, and I don't think you always do really, you know, in terms of like blowing up the world, you know what I mean? Um, but if you have to, it has to be rooted in something that matters emotionally. It has to be rooted in something that takes the character and in within the context of that action, pushes them and turns them to something new, you know? And that's the challenge because otherwise it ends up just being a lot of noise. And, you know, the first four or five times you see a lot of noise with live action superheroes in the movies, it's really cool. The 10th time you see it, you want to walk out. At least that's the way I feel, unless it's really done right and it's done rooted in character. You're not the first person to say that, and I agree with you. And I think that that is a concern that these are becoming too formulaic and, uh, yeah, it's like okay, it's time to it's time to start doing something different. I think of it too as growing pains of this genre now becoming a film genre. Right. And it's just like, you know, I mean, you go back to those silent westerns and they were all pretty much the same until the great filmmakers, you know, the the Fords right. and and the like and the Bedeckers in the 50s and some of the other great ones, you know, yeah, could really take the genre and take it to different places. And it I am impressed with 
on the Marvel side because it seems to be happening more. Right now, DC is pretty much playing the, the Goyer-Zack Snyder show, which I have no complaints about things on, on in general terms, right. so we can talk about that later. But Marvel coming to these different filmmakers, and I really, the one that I gave it up the most for was Ant-Man last year because you had these... You know, you started with Edgar Wright. You you had, uh, and now I'm blanking, Peyton Reed uh, finish the movie, and you had Adam McKay's influence. And, you know, guys, uh, the actors, too, were involved with the story, you know, throwing in lines and story process and everything. And I really am like, this was a little bit different. Now, some people look at it and go, ah, we're doing, you know, it's pretty much like Iron Man. You know, somebody invented technology, and a bad guy wants to take it different. You could say the th- same thing in broad terms about Winter Soldier and a lot of the Marvel movies. Right. But it, it's going to take these filmmakers, and, and I really do think uh, both companies have people that care and don't want to repeat themselves. And obviously, well, I, I, you know, we're seeing that clearly in animation with, with your crowd. And, you know, so they and, have to do that if this stuff is not going to burn out. Because, yep. as I said, when it, you know, remember when the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie or the first of uh, the X-Men movies came out, we were all like with our jaws on the floor, you know? But, you know... Five years later, ten years later, fifteen years later, it's like, oh god, I've seen this a hundred times, you know. So what, what Marvel's done that's so interesting is, you know, to see something like Jessica Jones, and then you go to something yes. like Guardians of the Galaxy, um, then you go to something, you know, Ant Man. Um, well, the thing I, that I, I enjoyed about Ant Man was it was the first of these movies that really felt like it was a Disney movie, and I mean, and yes. I mean that in a, in a very positive way. You know? Completely agree. You know? Absolutely. Like, oh, this is like a Disney superhero movie. That's really yep. fun, you know, and you can bring your kids and it's okay, you know. And that's why I'm, yep. that's why I'm really looking forward to Doctor Strange. Um, a, because, it, you know, one of my two or three all-time favorite characters. Me too, and, man. Uh, Absolutely. I think it's the best casting since Robert Downey as Iron Man, you know. Sure. And then uh, following uh, the director, uh, Scott Der- Derrickson, on Twitter, this is a guy who seems to really understand the character you know, and really have a connection to the character. And if you do Doctor Strange right, it's not going to be anything like any of those other movies. Agreed. And that's, Absolutely. that's what I'm hoping, yeah. you know, if you do it, because Doctor Strange has never been like anything else at Marvel, and every time they try to make him be like everything else at Marvel, it fails dismally, you know? Because it becomes ordinary. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, and you forget the spark that made it so amazing. Don't you love the people that are like, I don't know what they were smoking back in the 60s, but, and it's like, Man, you obviously don't know who Steve Ditko right. is. <laughs> and for that matter, I guarantee I don't think he's smoking anything, you know? Maybe he was having a glass of scotch when he got home from work, but maybe that was about it, you know? <laughs> and that's the wonderful thing. What a wonderful imagination they had. And and then, fine, you know, and honestly, I don't know Jim Starlin other than the couple times I've met him and right. Steve Englehart's been on the show a couple times. But what they did with the book in the 70s oh, is yes. just like, oh, my God, you know? So, so that's the great thing. You're right. It's such wonderful imagination. P. Craig Russell, all the all the greats that have you know worked on on that character yep. and everything. You know, yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I can't wait. But Ford, forget because uh, regarding the man who has everything. Yeah. Um, did you read that uh, Supergirl is going to kind of reboot the story for for their series? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Pretty cool. See what they do with that. Me too, man. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And and very quickly, what do you think of Supergirl? Uh, I've, been, I've I've been enjoying it. I I like it because. Uh, there's a real innocence to it. And to me, in a lot of ways, it's the, even though it's Supergirl, it's the best interpretation of Superman I've seen since Christopher Reeve, because it has that, that feeling of innocence and charm. Um, and, uh, I, I've just been enjoying it. You know, it's, it, 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 in, in a way, it reminds me of some of my own writing, because it's, 
it's almost painfully sincere sometimes, you know, which I know I, I, I go there too sometimes. And I'd rather watch something that's sincere than cynical, you know? Uh, Truly. It's a, very, yeah. it's a very sincere, heartfelt show. I think she's perfect casting for that role. And, yep. and I have to say, the 12-year-old in my soul went completely bananas over the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I know. And I wasn't expecting it. I really, I mean, especially when they call him Hank Henshaw. Right. And I'm like, and of course the red eyes, you're like, oh, okay, fine, evil alien. All right, I'm sure that's what's coming. Right. And and it's great that it's John Jones. No, and, I mean, and then just the great left field characters that they've thrown in, like Jim. Hell, from the very start, when Vartox is the first bad guy. Right, right. I was like, yay, Vartox. Oh, my God, I haven't seen you in 40 years. And, of course, you know, Keith and I are very happy that Maxwell Lord shows up every single week. <laughs> Hey, absolutely good for you, man. I am so good. I'm glad you guys are being taken yeah, care of. Yeah. That's good. Um, you know, it's 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 the it's the it's the darker version of Maxwell Lord. But hey, I'll take what I can get. You know. No, that's awesome, man. And I understand. And 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 uh, yeah, I like the way they've positioned Maxwell Lord. It's not yeah, like you said, it, it's not quite your Maxwell Lord. But right. I'm glad I'm glad they recognize and I'm glad they're doing right by you guys because certainly those stories have kind of been there. I'm glad also. It's it does seem that once. Someone says, hey, you know, I really created this character that they are smart enough to go, all right, sorry about that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> here's a check. Yeah, you know. exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, the other great thing about Supergirl is, you know, my, my daughter is is 21 now, so it's not it's going to affect her this way now. But when she was younger, you know, girls like to read about girls. They don't like to read about guys. They don't want to read about Superman, you know, an 8-year-old girl or a 10-year-old girl. And I know with comics, I never had any comics to give her. That's one of the reasons why I did a Badazad in the first place back in the day, you know, because I wanted to write a comic that I could give to my daughter. And one of the things I gave her when she was little were those hardcover DC Supergirl collections, you know? And, and I remember thinking, oh, she's a pretty sophisticated reader. She's going to think this stuff is really dumb. And she just devoured them, you know? And and now, you know, you have a daughter that's 8 or 10 years old that can watch that show and have that superhero up there, and it's a girl, you know? Um, oh, yeah. It's a, or, or, you know, one week the villain was a female and the, and you have the hero and the villain. And it's like all these powerful women on TV, you know, uh, I agree. it's a great thing. You know, as the father of a daughter, I just applaud it. You know, I think it's fantastic. Well, that's why I and it's funny because I just had an interview with a creator and I can appreciate the frustration that we're not there yet. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be get to, to be done. But I'm like, but it is getting better. And they're like. Well, kind of. I'm like, no, you really don't. You don't have the years of perspective. It is getting better. And I'm not saying that, again, I'm not saying the mission accomplished and stop pushing for this stuff. Right. But that's the thing. I mean, this is happening. And when I saw those publicity shots of uh, Melissa Benoist with, uh, with, the, with the Girl Scouts and stuff on the rooftop, and, they're all, and they've all got their fist up there like they're about to fly. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then I saw this summer the, the pilot, the whole pilot, and I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they got a winner. And so many people, well, super girl versus super woman and, you know, feminists are very upset. And it's like, oh, you guys don't worry. This is good. Yeah. And luckily, yeah. you know, proof is proof is out there. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that you have they have Supergirl and Jessica Jones on at the same time. It was like, you know, that's, that's both ends of the spectrum. The yes. whole spectrum there. And that's that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Which, by the way, you can include your your Batwoman take in, uh, in right. Bad Blood, because, again, I think very adult. Uh, in in the best way, and I think very inclusive, and uh, everything that Kate Kane has been uh, since Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams rebooted them, or, or her, uh, I think, you know, no, it's it, this is the genuine Batwoman, 
that I think deserves to be out there, and, I, and I'm and I'm glad to see it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. You know, it's, in a lot of ways, uh, in, in in recent years, everybody's just sort of waking up, and, and you know, diversity has become sort of a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true and it's necessary. You know, and that that you know, you can turn on the television or pick up a comic book now and see all different kinds of people. You know, um, yeah. it's really important. It's really important. True. Uh, Couldn't agree more, man. You know, we, all, we all grew up in a time where we didn't think about it. But on TV, you know, ninety percent of people on TV were white, and that was that. And all the heroes were guys, and that was that. And you know, it's a different world. Thank God. And yes. it's really, really important to have all these all these different voices out there now. No question. And also, it's good to get. Um, a response from the other saying, hey, we want to be there. Like you said, girls want to read about girls. And it's like, no, we like this stuff too. Can we see more product? And again, that you know, we kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about uh, Justice League 3001. Yeah. And, and yeah, the way things end with issue seven, as you say, you pretty much have uh, a female Justice League with the exception of, of Guy's mind right. in, in the woman's body. Right. And led, uh, I'm assuming, still led by Supergirl? Yeah. Fantastic. And I mean, that's another great thing is it's really been fun that I've really enjoyed that series. I got to tell you, man, I, I being the Legion fan and I know you're a Legion fan because you wrote Legion. Uh, but I, I was at first like, I don't know, man, really? And then of course you and Keith come in and Howard and, and, you know, do a great job. And we've got these very funny, crazy characterizations of, you know, the, the classic versions for people, for people who don't know. Explain the genesis of, of Justice the, League 3000. The, 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 it's, it's come a long way since then. The original idea was we're in the 31st century. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the universe is a mess. There's a group called the Five that's basically taken over and, and turned everything on its head. And there's a, the Cadmus Project still exists, but it's now it's this, this world called Cadmus World, which is uh, hidden. This, and these scientists have found a way to take the DNA uh, that, the, of the Justice League and uh, resurrect them. And at first we think it's regular old cloning as we understand it, you know. But it turns out that it's not. It's something a little bit darker. What we discover, and what the characters themselves don't discover for a few issues, is that what they do is they need uh, they need volunteers, genetic matches. And basically, so John, if I, I would take Superman's DNA and inject it into you, and what would happen is his DNA would overwrite yours. So by the time it was done, you would be erased. And and there would be Superman. So they wake up. They think they've just been cloned, and they're back. But when they discover that people sacrifice their lives for this, it's it's a it's a shock. Um, that said, it's still all done with our usual uh, ridiculous uh, sense of humor. Wahaha! You know, yeah, the thing about it is when we first started, we had, it took a while and some push pull with DC about getting the tone right because they were always afraid. Oh, those guys are going to get too funny, you know, whatever it is, you know, and, 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 you know, so. Meaning you two guys, yeah, meaning yeah. Keith, you and Keith. Okay. Because, you know, when we get together, that's what we do. Right? <laughs> and, um, and so if you look at the first few issues, it's a little, it's a little more serious and little by little, we just kind of, we got the tone exactly where we wanted it, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and Absolutely. the funny thing is, you know, what Keith and I have always done is that we're never afraid though then to flip that. So like the past few issues, things have gotten very dark, you know? Absolutely. We set yes. it up, no one expected it. And all of a sudden at the end of, uh, was it issue seven or issue six? Superman gets his head blown off. He's dead. That's yes, it. issue six. You know? yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. So that takes Superman off the table. Yeah. Yeah. 
at least for yeah. now. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what Cad, how much more DNA Cadmus World might and have. We blew up Cadmus World. I forgot about that. Holy shit! That's okay. why we blew up to make sure that there's not an easy out because we didn't. Then it'd be like, oh, they can just get him back again, you know? Wow. Okay, so, fantastic, man. Yes. Yeah, so oh my now god. Now we've got this whole new team, and it's and we got Fire and Ice back, and Wonder Woman is there, and we have a female Flash, and it's a, it's an interesting group. But you know, the truth is, as a writer, once you start writing these characters. I'm not sitting there writing. I'm th- I'm writing. Uh, thinking I'm writing a team of female characters. No, you're just writing these characters. You sure. follow them where they lead. You're not think. You know. You don't. It, I don't think about it that way anymore. That when I'm writing, uh, the other version is just like I'm thinking. Oh, I'm writing a bunch of male characters. No, I'm just. I'm just. I'm letting these people come alive on the page, and and I'm following them where they will lead. And and you know. And that's what Keith and I do. So uh, so it's it's been fun to have a whole new dynamic in the book and. Uh, I hope that that if anyone out there hasn't checked the book out, that they will immediately. They should go to your comic shop now if it comes on sale tomorrow. Even though you know it doesn't work because you're on the air after it came out. So run to your comic shop immediately when you hear my voice and go pick up the copy. I agree. And uh, are, are, there's trades out. I mean, because yeah. I know you know with renumbering, I forget where the hell you there's got two, how many issues. There's two trades, and I think there's a third trade coming soon. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would assume, yeah. given uh, since the numbering started again in number one. Right. Again. I think we had um. we had 15 issues of Justice League 3000, and now we're eight issues into Justice League 3001. And is everything going okay? Because we know there's a big shakeup coming this summer. Uh, is everything okay with the book? Uh, as, uh, as of this moment, yes. You know, uh, but it's a shaky market, which is why you know I always want to say to people if you if you like not just this book, any given book that you like, support it. Don't go out and download it for free. Don't wait for the trade, even though you know we want you to buy the trades, because they want to see the sales on the books month to month. You know, so if you're enjoying the I book, understand. go out and pick up that 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 book every month at your comic shop, or else doesn't matter. You know, we've all seen lots of great comic books uh, cancel, come and go, yeah. absolutely, man. And that's, oh that's yeah, just the way it works. You know, so uh, if you if if you're enjoying this book, please go out and buy it. Don't wait. You'll forgive the pinball uh, sound effects that you might hear in the background. That's my laptop because I did leave things open for people to ask questions. That's okay. That's okay. I hope you forgive my little the ding of my mail program that's been happening. Oh no, that's okay too. Absolutely, man. No, it's all good. You see, we're popular people. Obviously, Mark. That's that's clearly that's the wildly popular. Yeah. (laughs) The um, I I want you know I understand and I appreciate you mentioning that it is a shaky market. It's a really, and you don't, you have no power over this, and I understand that. You do when they're your creator-owned books right. uh, that you might be putting out through an image or, or whatever. Right. But man, I'll tell you, uh, you're right. It is, a, it's a shaky market, and it's also, I mean, I don't think the big two are doing creators any favors when they keep pushing the price point of the monthlies up, and it's really bad. I mean. I can't believe we're at this four dollars a month, and I know there are, you know, certainly other publishers that are putting out four ninety nine comics, and it's like, wow, I, you know, and again with the with the selection that's out there, and and also as someone who has um, created stories and has been told, okay, right now the features are eighteen pages to twenty five pages, back down to twenty two, currently maybe twenty, I'm assuming is yeah, the current. Mm-hmm. There you go. So. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't want less story, and I do think in the right hands that a great creator can take 16 pages. I mean, hell, man, I grew up during that period in the 70s and 80s 
when you'd get the hundred page uh, super spectacular and the and the front uh, feature was only fourteen or sixteen pages. Right, and there were a lot of backup features that because that's right around when I started. You, there you, you go. Would do like an eight page story or a nine page yep. story as the backups, you know. And so yes, you can always do that. You can. I, when I first started writing for the anthologies, they were they were stories for five to eight pages long, and you had to have a really solid story with a beginning, a middle, and end, and a character arc happening in five to eight pages. And it's a great way to learn your craft. That said, you know, month to month, you want to have room room to tell your tale. You know, true. And also, unfortunately, it seems like the big two solution is hey, backup feature. And it's like I did not buy this book for a backup feature. Mm-hmm. That was great when they were $0.25 cents and $0.95 cents and stuff. But in this $5 an issue world, you're really asking a lot of patience from an audience that very easily can go to another section of the, of the rack and find creator-owned books that are as entertaining and, and, are, and are cheaper. And again, I, I don't – you're not in charge of it. But, and it would seem that you guys, you and Keith in particular, because of your experience – you could slide potentially with the difference. You know, Snyder, and I love Scott Snyder, and I completely agree with you that Court of Owls and what he's been doing with Batman is amazing. But, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that he was running uh, or is, is about to run seminars for writers to kind of figure things out. I almost think it would make more sense, truly, and I'm not saying this is because you're on the air right now, but to go to guys like you and Keith and, and you know, some of, some of the older writers, Jurgens would be another guy like that, that have had to write five-page and eight-page right. stories. And, I, and, that, and that might be a better strength and something they should focus and on. I think we've talked about that over the years. Uh, I, don't, I don't do them as much as I'd like, but I do this writing workshop. And I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm, Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Please. I'm planning to do another one in the spring because it's been, God, a year or more since I've done one. I was just been thinking that i gotta, I got to put one together for the uh, spring. So – but that's you on your own, though, that's, Mark. I mean, that's that's awesome that you're giving back. But that's what I'm saying. Like these guys should be doing that as well. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, um, the here's here's the thing about that whole you know, whether the word decompression even even re- relates anymore. But it, it, it all depends who's doing it. Some people know how to do that and do that well. You could go back and look at Moonshadow and say it was decompressed storytelling. Sure. If you see the way the story was told. Uh, it wasn't packed with events necessarily. It took its time to explore thoughts and feelings, you know, and get philosophical and do this and this and that. It depends who's doing it. I mean, I, I remember uh, picking up a comic a couple of years ago. That someone gave me and said, hey, re- read this and see what's going on right now. And I was really – I'm not going to say what it was, obviously. I was really, really enjoying it, and I, and, and, and except it, it ended like on page eight. Well, I thought, but it was really page 20, you know, and, and, wow. and there was like eight pages worth of story in that 20 page story. Um, and that's that's the problem when you're reading something and it really feels like there's only about eight pages of story going on. Um, that's a problem. And if there are certain writers that maybe came up when that was the norm, then maybe they haven't learned how to do it the other way. You know, that's. That's kind of what I'm thinking. It's been, uh, you know, 16 years now, really, since the decompression era kind of started. Right. And in fact, another, and I want to point this out. There's a great podcast, uh, from the Sketched website. Uh, and I wish I had the name of it right now, but it escapes me. But they had a really good conversation. He and Brian Hibbs, uh, comic book retailer, the host and comic, uh, and, and Brian Hibbs. And he said too, and I agree with him, uh, that decompression was different than what we were getting up to 2000 or 1999 when decompression started. Now, 16 years later, it's unfortunately become the norm. 
and and I think you're right. And I think there is a generation of writers that literally did grow up reading the decompression things and go, well, that's how you write a comic book story. Right. And and especially with their original stuff. And I've said this before. I go through Artist Alley and it's, oh, this is a very ambitious story. Oh, yeah, it's going to take, you know, 12 issues to put out. And I'm like, and you're doing this yourself and another guy and nobody's getting paid unless you're making your issues. I'm like, I have a feeling you're not going to finish your story. Yeah. <laughs> like, good luck. I don't, I don't know. The difference is there, there are guys that can, that could work, work uh, that in that decompressed mode. Um, and, you know, and, and, and then, then really almost to label it decompressed isn't right. Cause the, the truth is you could have a, an entire issue of two people talking to each other and it could be a really packed story with all yeah. kinds of emotional twists and turns and things going on. Or, you know, you could have two guys saying three words to each other on each page and then five pages of them punching each other, and that's not a story. You know, so it depends who's doing it. And the truth is, with comics, there's room for all kinds of storytelling. So uh, I think the problem with anything is when any one thing sort of becomes the norm, and just as we've been saying, for somebody who's coming up when that is the norm, and maybe they, they don't have the chops yet to do it the right way, so that's where the problem is. And, and like I said, for me, I came up in a time when it's about being packed with story. Well, it's a little, it's easier for someone with too much story to let it breathe, you know? All right, so now we're in a sure. decompressed era where they want more double-page splashes or whatever it is. I can do that, you know? But I'm still going to give you a hell of a lot of story in there while I'm doing that, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. We, we could talk do, you, do you feel like you've had to adjust your style, um, obviously, for the for the current era? Just, you know, I, a little bit here and there. You know, like, like really, truly, uh, just what I said, like in recent years uh, – the big splash, more and more of the big splashes have come in. You know what I mean? You want to open mm-hmm. that double page spread here or whatever. Okay, if that's what they want, we can do that. But not to the not to the detriment of the story. You know? Understood. Not yes. to the detriment of the story. It's just like what we were saying about, you know, act three of these movies. Um, yes. You're going to have the big explosions and all the big, you know, the island blowing up and everything else at the end of the movie. Well, it better matter, you know? And you're better fit the, Yeah, it better fit the story. While you're doing yeah. your big double-page spreads or whatever is going on, it better be in the context of a story that really matters. And, and, yeah. and you know, and, and again, the, the biggest problem to me is the stories that feel like when you get to the end, you feel cheated. And that's I think that's the difference between whether it succeeded or it didn't. You read a decompressed story and you get to the end and you're, you're satisfied, great. If you feel cheated, then it didn't work. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I can think, and I won't name names either, but some of the biggest names in comics that have had a double-page, quote, action spread that really is just a Mm pinup and really could have been satisfied in one panel. And I literally am like, oh, fuck you. Thanks for wasting two pages (laughs) on this this image. What is – I mean, really, man. I mean, and yeah, like it's (laughs) – I do get that angry. So, yeah. You know, styles come and styles go, and there have been probably, you know – Probably if I look at my own work over all the years that I've been doing this, you know, you you can see where, oh, this happened in the 80s and then this happened in the 90s. And everything gets adjusted for whatever is going on then. But the bottom line, no matter what, always the sacred thing, and I really mean it's a sacred thing, is the story. You know, it's got to be a really good story at the core of it. And as long as you've got a good story there, that's what matters. The style of telling the story will always change. And, you know, not to spend too much time on this, but, you know, it's interesting because it's sort of what's going on uh, with TV uh, now because the style that's come in like in the age of Netflix and Amazon series is 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 much more expansive. In a lot of ways, it's much more like compressed storytelling, whereas the model for television and certainly the model for movies is 
pack it with story. You go to the movies, you look at a movie from you know 30 years ago and look at a movie now, there's probably more story in the first 10 minutes than you might have seen in the first 30 minutes. So, you know, watch an old Bond movie from the 60s. And watch mm-hmm. an action movie now and see how much story there is. And yet the, these, uh, these sort of uh, serialized storytelling that's come, come into play, and especially with these Netflix things where, and the Amazon things where the idea is, well, people are going to binge these shows. So we don't have to have that much story in every episode. It all just needs to flow one into the other. So it's, 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 sort, of, it's sort of similar, and it's, it's sort of thinned out the story a little bit. Whereas I'm even with that. I want to see a lot of story in each episode. Tell me a story every episode. Even if you're telling one big story, I want each chapter to be chock full of story. That's just me. But styles of storytelling change, and audiences that are, that are brought up on a certain kind of storytelling don't miss the old kind of storytelling. So, you know, at what level do you become like in the cranky old man on his lawn, you know? Understood. Get your Absolutely. Fresh stories off my lawn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, and and you know as long as you the, the bottom line is tell tell me tell me a really good story. That's all I care about. I agree with you, man. And and you know uh, my last comment would be because I used to get that argument back uh, during the early years of the decompression era and saying, oh, you know, it's just like TV. I mean, you know, I uh, you know when and at that time even there wasn't Hulu and Netflix and, and right. Amazon Prime, but there were. There were cable stations. You know, Sopranos obviously had not only the problem of the week, but the overarching story for the season or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but the difference is I only have to wait seven days for my next Sopranos episode. When you're dealing with 30 30 days and there's not enough story, you're kind of screwing me here. And I don't like it. And I don't think, and again, and maybe that, again, that's maybe cranky old man. Who the hell knows? And also, again, the, the, I think the advantage that the Netflix and Hulu shows have now when they literally put out an entire season, they really are telling one 13-hour or 12-hour yeah. story yes. as as opposed to each episode. And I kind of will forgive them because it's like it literally is like a book. I can watch as much as I want, put it right. down, right. and, and immediately, like if 10 minutes later I want more, fine. If it's two weeks or a month, that's fine too. Right. But it, you know, it's so. changed the model. It really has. Absolutely. I, I, and again, you know, uh, done right, it's great. I've seen some of these shows, even some that I've enjoyed, where I just think it's a, li- it's a little too thin sometimes. And they take a little too much time because they're thinking, we've got 12 more hours. I do want to ask you some, uh, some uh, listener questions as well. But uh, before I forget, I wanted, and as we're talking about live television, wanted to ask, uh, have you tried uh, to do any type of uh, live action television? I am actually, as we speak, and it's one of these things where I can't like get into details, but I am working on a pilot script for for a producer, a very very big producer, and we're just we've been working on it for the past year or so. We're just kind of coming to the end of it, and uh, fingers crossed. Then we bring it out to market and see what happens. You know, it's it, good for it's, you. It's, you know, it's a process. You got to get the script right, then you have to get a pilot made, and then if you get a pilot made, you want it to get picked up to series. But it's uh, sure. it's a story that I'm very very excited about. It's it's my original story and. Um, I hope that it all comes to pass. But, you know, you don't know. So you have to take the pleasure in the work while you're doing it, you know? I understand. Well, that's great, though, man, because I'm, I'm really glad because, you know, again, I really think your animation work, and as animation has become more sophisticated in its storytelling and characterization, you're one of those guys that is making it happen. And I'm, I'm really, really glad to hear that because, yeah, I, I think, yeah, hell yeah, man. Dude, you're awesome. And I, and truly, I, I don't talk to you enough. And you, and really, it's, it's been wonderful to see 
your work evolve every decade since I've been paying attention, and it's it's really really great. And that's the thing; I don't th- I think you're still telling incredibly interesting stories. Okay. So, congrats, you absolutely. Know, it's, it's you know being a freelancer. I always say, <laughs> I love what I do. I am so grateful that I've had the career that I've had. But it, I call it, it's tap dancing on quicksand. You have, I believe it, yeah. You have to tap dance really fast so you don't sink. And you have to tap dance really well so someone goes, ooh, I like the way that guy dances. Let's hire him, you know? So, <laughs> so you know, you, you have to just keep creating new stuff, you know? Um, and that's one of the things I, I want to do this year also is uh, – we have the sequel to Augusta Wind coming out from IDW uh, uh, in the summer, and I have uh, some other uh, creator-owned things that I really want to get going this year. Uh, oh, because you have, you have, you know, I, what I've learned over the years is you have to keep creating your own opportunities. You can't sit and wait for other people to, to knock on your door and say, would you please do this? Mark, I've been having that conversation in my cre- uh, career circles and also when I talk to kids. And that's exactly what I tell them as well. And for me, and I know you're slightly older than me, but I'm I, I'm 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 51, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I, I by no means do I think the dance is ending, yeah. but I do know the clock is running. Right. And I want to make sure, just as I'm sure it's occurred to you, I've had this conversation with other creators that are in my age bracket and slightly older. That yeah, it's not that we, you know, it's not that we're done. It's just that. Let's make sure we get to do the stuff we want to yes. do while we're able to do it and while exactly. there's an audience that's listening. Yeah, that's yeah, why man. you always have to find a way to create new challenges for yourself. Because the, the great thing the great thing and the horrible thing about what I do is that every story is the first story in a lot of ways. I don't care how long I've been doing this. When it's time to sit down and write a new story, it's as if I, in some ways it's as if I've never written before. That's horrifying and exhilarating at the same time because you get to start fresh. And especially when you're creating something new, you know, when you're creating a story that's yours and it's brand new. Um, and like this TV thing I'm working on, it's, you know, it's a whole new world. It's all new characters. And, and then when you do a creator owned comic, it's the same thing. You get to just create something new from the ground up. And at that point, it doesn't matter whether you're, um, 20, 40, 60, or 110. You're creating and you're in that moment. It has nothing to do about where you are in your career or how old you are. You're in the creative act, and that's what keeps you young, and that's what keeps it fresh. I hear you, man. No, 100%. Before we leave Justice League 3001, I wanted to ask about the Guy Gardner transgender kind (laughs) of momentary. Well, and, you know, honestly, Mark, because I think – I'm glad you asked because it was a very interesting thing that happened. Yeah, there were just some transgender people that took exception to the way you were characterizing specifically – Guy Gardner and Guy Gardner's situation. And that's all I have to say about it. And you take So, you know, we had, we came up with, uh, Keith came up with this idea really of having Guy, they, they do the resurrection process, but, and they needed him fast. And the closest match they had was a female body. So, you know, and this is what goes back to what we were talking about before about diversity and the need uh, for us to be aware of these things and pay attention to these things and incorporate them into our stories. So we're not thinking transgender character. We're thinking science fiction body swap like we've seen a hundred times over the years. Sure. You know? Yes. But we're living in a different universe now. So we do this story, and the truth is, and I think, the, and I'll be perfectly honest, I think the mistake that we made was we sort of just jumped into it. We didn't introduce Guy and Guy's situation. It was as if he was, just, he was already there. So in the first big issue where he appeared, our Superman character, for those that follow the book, is a complete asshole. That's the point of the character. <laughs> He's the exact opposite of what he was. They, you know, because these characters get resurrected, their memories have holes in it, their personalities are skewed. 
And he made some, you know, what, what, which he does throughout the book, he makes some obnoxious, sexist character about Guy's body, you know, which was perfect. like nice ass, basically, yeah, or, yeah. something like that. Right. It really wasn't about how Guy uh, himself was portrayed. Um, okay. It was really about the way the, the others reacted to him. I think that's the impression I got. So, I, you know, yeah. it was perfectly in character for Superman. What I see in retrospect was had we introduced Guy, established Guy, really spent some time to get into his head and his situation it would have presented differently and then if on you know in the second issue or on page 18 superman said this obnoxious stupid thing you know it would have played differently so all of a sudden you know i'm on twitter and i see this thing erupting you know people are like you know uh you know calling us you know all kinds of horrible names and things you know uh sure. we're transphobic yeah. and we're this and that and i'm like holy crap i didn't even know i was writing a transgender character you know I understand. And, yeah. and, you know, one of the lessons I learned on Twitter is that sometimes people get upset um, and it's not about going back at them in a challenging way. You know, um, it's about having some compassion for where they're coming from. Sure. And so I, I didn't want to be dismissive. I wanted to hear what they had to say. And what happened, which was great, was I, with, with a couple of people, I got into a really nice dialogue and I realized you know, I'm in a territory that I don't really completely understand because we're in a world that, you know, this is this is coming to the forefront of our culture now. Not that transgender yes. is new, but in terms of really transgender people stepping forward in our culture. And understand, yeah, trying to understand them yeah. and, and really where they're coming from. Right. And, and you're right, yeah. it is kind of a new territory for some of us. Some Absolutely. Of us it is. Obviously, if you're transgender, it's not a new, new territory. Absolutely. Uh, Understood. But, you know, uh, uh, it's sort of like, you know, we, we, I remember back in the 90s writing a story uh, that had to do with gay characters, and, and uh, I, I, had, I used the, the term sexual preference. And my editor, who was gay, made sure I understood that it's not sexual preference. It's not a preference, you know what I mean? And it was an education. So sure. We, you know, I, I really, even though it was really uncomfortable, and I have to be honest, it was really uncomfortable, these conversations at first, I'm so grateful for them because but as we continued talking, the people I was talking with opened up, and I opened up, and I saw things in a way I hadn't seen before, and it informed the way uh, I was I was uh, approaching the character, and gave me some ideas of what, I, what what we should do with Guy. So even though it was uncomfortable, you know, growth is uncomfortable sometimes, you know. But I, I honestly am very grateful that it happened. What you know, what I don't like is I don't you know every once in a while I'll still see some comment, you know, I don't want to read that hateful transphobic book. There's no hate involved here. You know what I mean? I do. There may have been ignorance involved, but there's certainly, you know, I, I, if you know me and you know my work, that's not what I'm about, you know? I hear you, man. No, I, yeah. yeah. I think only someone that doesn't know me or know my work would even say something like that. But to bring it back, you know, um, I, I'm really grateful for the conversation. And the truth is, if this had been a, a book that was a, a serious book, um, it never would have come off that way. The reason why it, it was so out of balance is because there's a lot of humor in the book, and I think we did not we didn't present the guy the right way so that the humor would have come in a more natural way. It seemed shocking because what I'm realizing is, you know, when you talk to people and suddenly, oh, you know, you understand what it's what it's like. They give you a sense of what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes, you know, and to understand what it is if you're from a population that's been marginalized to suddenly have a character. That represents you in some way, even yes. if so, even if the creators aren't thinking this is a transgender character, they're, they're they're seeing it as one, and that's really important. 
And I want to treat that with as much respect as I possibly can because I haven't lived with their pain. I haven't lived with their struggle. You know, I know I've had my own pains and struggles in my life, and I would hate to see a story that, that made me feel diminished in some way because of that. You know, So there, it, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that you know, no one wants to write a story to please this one, that one, or another one. That's not what writing is about. You have to please yourself. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to be aware of what's happening in our culture in our society and have some sensitivity. So it was, um, it was, it was, it was really uh, a good back and forth. And even, you know, some of the articles that came out where people were like really jumping on us and everything, it was worth reading them to really get a sense of what that perspective is. Cause it's really important for me as a writer, not just as a writer, but as a human being on the planet to understand that, you know, I do. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I honestly, I, I really appreciate you, going in depth and, and then trying to explain your own process of trying to understand where where they were coming from. I wonder, and, I, and honestly, especially where things were left in the last two issues with Guy, if, if you are responding to that with Guy's character and, and what's going on, and that there might be some more explanation, because it seems there is an inner conflict. Yes, exactly. And that was one of the, you know, it got me thinking about, because a lot of the time, especially when I'm working with someone like Keith, Keith is like so filled with incredible ideas. I always say Keith is like, you know, when my kids were little, they had these little plastic bubble bears. You press the bear's belly, pop up, and bubbles would come out, you know? And that's Keith. You squeeze his belly, and a hundred ideas come out. So, and, and with, with Justice League, he is just, I mean, his creativity is just boiling, and there's like a hundred cool ideas in every issue that he's throwing out. So, and here's Guy, you know? And sometimes what happens is, we don't get to necessarily think it through because here's just another fun idea, you know? And so having these conversations gave me the opportunity to step back, look at the character and say, hey, we could do this. And then talk to Keith and say, what if we do this? And he's, oh, what if we do that? So yeah, Guy is on a very specific journey now. And um, although it may not be the journey people expect, it certainly came for me, came out of having those conversations. Because what we're discovering with Guy now is the opposite of what happened with the other characters. Where where their DNA overwrote uh, these people that volunteered. Now what we're seeing is the personality that Guy overwrote is starting to emerge inside him. So he's got this woman literally coming alive inside him. And if they can't find some way to stop it, Guy is the one that's going to be erased. And an entire, wow. new, an entire new personality, uh, the original personality, will take over that body. So it's a very interesting journey, and it probably would not have happened um, – in, in quite this way had I not had those dis those discussions. So, again, uh, uh, you know, it was uncomfortable, but I am really, really grateful that we had those conversations. That's that's excellent, man, and I, and I look forward to seeing where that story goes. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I like you said, I think, uh, again, dumb white guys, you know, we're, we're seeing, like you said, that classic sci-fi trope of, I mean, good God, Gilligan's Island had the body switch episode yes. and there's nothing transgender about what happens in that episode. Yes, but again, we're not transgender. So I don't know how that is right. perceived. Exactly. Today. And that's it, you know, and, and, and until you, you know, you've walked in someone else's shoes and lived with their pain and their struggle. And, and, uh, and, you know, no matter how sensitive one tries to be in life, we can't, we can't understand everybody unless we've had some interaction. Absolutely. You know, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, that, that really, I think that covers that subject. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate it, man. Very cool. All right, let's, let's get to some, uh, some listener questions. Okay. Um, Jeff Wakelin asks, I've always loved the way a JM DeMatty's, or 
Demetrius, uh, story sounds, feels just right. Not too long, not too short. Are there any stories you would want to go back to and add just one more issue? Go back to and add one more issue. Yeah, I, you know. No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Um, sure. You, you know, I mean, there, there was not so much that, but there were storylines that got aborted, you know. Um, yes. The, the classic thing was that Captain America storyline way back in the day that, that I planned on doing this whole, another whole year of stuff, and it just got cut off and eventually turned into uh, the Life and Times of Savory 28, or when I wrote The Silver Surfer back at Marvel in the 90s, I had a great story that I wanted to do, and for a variety of reasons, most of which were, were you know, behind the scenes things I couldn't get to do, and I always really wanted to do that story. Or, you know, a book gets canceled when I worked on Man Thing, and we were really cooking, and the book gets canceled, and you know, you had that other year of stories. Or there's that. It's more like that. It's not that to a pre-existing complete story that I'd want to go back and add or do anything, but the stories that sort of had their lives cut short. You know, you'd like to go back in time and finish those off. Sure, man. No, and uh, and we talked about uh, the Captain America story transitioning to Savory 28, yeah. an excellent story yeah. that uh, you did with uh, Mike. Is it Mike Cavallo? Mike Cavallaro. Yeah. Cavallaro, excuse me. Yeah, man, I haven't seen Mike forever. So, uh, yeah. no, that's a that's a tremendous collaboration at IDW that people really need. Was it Life and Times of Savory 28? Life and Times of 28. I, I really think it's one of the best things I've ever done. I'm very proud I of it. I completely agree with you. And as I told you, that cap run is truly one of my all-time favorites. Oh, and I want to mention as we go into these uh, listener letters that um, it's nice to see that you were able to take the Court of Owls and, and adapt it for your animated story. I might be wrong, but it seems to me currently – Scott Snyder uh, took a, a page from Going Sane really? with an excellent conversation between Bruce Wayne and I'm not I mean they haven't really defined where the Joker is uh, as you know I, I, but they have a park bench story and Bruce uh, in I don't know if you're with current continuity his memory of Batman was wiped he is Bruce Wayne uh-huh. without the tragedy oh. and doesn't really know that person he used to be. And there's this excellent conversation on a park bench between he and clearly the Joker, but the Joker is kind of in plain clothes and makeup to make himself look normal, or maybe he is normal. Who the, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll know when the issues come out as the story goes on. But it really reminded me of that moment when he was Joe Curry, right, the going right. sane story. And yeah, and, and just the tragedy. And also, again, that that sad recognition of God, if there wasn't a Batman, maybe the Joker wouldn't have to right. be the Joker, and and yeah, and I mean, it's a little more it's a little more evil, but at least it starts very innocently. In that, to me, it felt very much like going. Oh, interesting, because that's another story that that you know, uh, out of all the superhero stories that I've written, one of my all time favorites. Uh, I'd love, too, I'd love to see that one back in print because it's not in print right now. It would, you know, and it would make it. To be honest, hell, you gotta you gotta hit up Alan and Mike. And, I, I, <laughs> and I, I brought it up. I think it would make a great animated film. I think absolutely. Man. Anyway, on to the next question. Indeed, uh, Stephen uh, Orion asks, uh, and we kind of covered this, but I'll ask uh, how much uh, research you did on Batwoman for Bad Blood. Did you read the Rucker James Williams stuff moving yeah, they forward? They sent me a whole stack of stuff, and and whatever they sent me, I read. I don't. I'm sure I didn't read every story, but they sent me uh, uh, probably a few trades. You know, so you know, sure. And, uh, but as you said too, and I want to, because he also asked, you were given free reign. Because it was you doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah. So we were not, again, we were not doing an adaptation. There, you know, the philosophy with these movies is take the elements that you want, create new elements when you need to, and uh, and uh, and have some fun. You know, 
And it's sure. fun for me to, to learn about these characters because, like I said, I'm not really up on everything that's going on in current comics all the time. Same thing with Damien. I didn't really know much about Damien until we did Batman versus Robin, and then they sent me the stack of, st- stack of stuff, and I read all the stuff, and I thought, hmm, well, they finally came up with an interesting way to have this kid running around with Batman. Isn't that interesting? Because I've always had problems with teen, you know, kid sidekicks. I, it, just, it just seems absolutely insane to me, you know? And no, I do. Damien is a really fascinating character well and i think again your writing hit the right notes and whoever they got to act the part because you're right you you know i mean god we even saw it with jason todd that you know a little too much bratty and you could become an an obnoxious little shit that we don't want to read and we hate and hate so much that we'll call a 900 number and kill him right Right. it's interesting too because you know when when i'm writing the character because of who damien is i hear him as older in my head because he's he's not your average ten year old, you know what I mean? He's like sure. He's a very and so then you do the, the the movie comes out and he's got and suddenly it's this moment of it was actually a moment of shock for me when I realized oh my god that's a kid's voice coming out of him. You know, Damien is he really is a kid and so there's all this sort of you know uh, cognitive dissonance going on, you know. Um, so it's interesting, uh, it's interesting. But I think uh, they you know Grant Morrison really came up with an interesting way to get around that whole kid sidekick thing uh, by making him what he is you know well and he believes it i mean that's the great thing is the character believes it yeah. and again in the in the right writer's hands and in the right actor's hands that's what you have to convey because he tells dick grayson uh i could be a better batman right. than you and he means it right and he and he I, might be right in some yeah, as the aspects of that remember that he's still a kid so there, he's like this very evolved super assassin kid <laughs> but he's still there's a part of him that's still just a kid that needs his dad that wants to please his dad that feels abandoned sure. by his mom. So those are all the elements you have to you have to balance there, and that's what makes it so interesting. Absolutely, man. No, great stuff. John Freeman, uh, uh, Mark created the com- uh, Creature Commandos, right? Yeah. I would love to hear about the inspiration for the series, how it came to be, or anything he cares to share. Were there any stories that got rejected? Uh, amazing that people even remember. What, what really amazed me even more is that one of the characters from Creature Commandos was on Arrow last year. Matthew, oh, good for you. Matthew man. Shreve, who was like the guy who was like uh, the normal guy on the team who was their sergeant or whatever. It's been so long. Uh, they used him on Arrow, and I'm thinking, of all the characters in the world, how did they end up with that one? I'm not complaining. You know, they paid me, so it was great. Um, <laughs> But you know, there's a real simple answer to how that came about. I had just started working in comics. I was just starting to break in at DC. And how you broke in in those days was writing for House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Weird War Tales. I was doing a lot of stuff for Weird War Tales. So Weird War Tales, it was war, and it was monsters. And I went, oh, okay, classic monsters fighting World War II. It was as simple as that, you know? And I was just about, the funny thing is I was just about to pitch it to Paul Levitz, who was the first editor I ever sold anything to, right when they had, I I mean, I had just started, right when they had the DC implosion. And so I was out of work, you know, from nine months. You know, I had just started and I suddenly, before I really got my my feet solidly in, I was kicked out. And then uh, the next year, whenever it was, when I was uh, back, back in again, I was working with Len Wein and he needed series for Weird, for Weird War Tales and for, uh, for, uh, House of Mystery. So I came up with I Vampire for House of Mystery. And then uh, when he said he needed a series for Weird War Tales, I remembered that idea that I had. I said, Monsters Fighting World War II. And that was it. And we were off. And actually, I was thinking about it because it, when, when this thing came up with Arrow and uh, I guess they reprinted a bunch of Creature Commando stories last year, 
I think it would make a very cool movie, a la the first Captain America movie. You know, set it in World War II. You know what I mean? It would be a yes, a great fusion of a classic 1940s World War II movie and a classic Universal monster movie from the era. Mash that together, and you got. I think it'd be a fantastic film. I completely agree. I think that's fantastic. You know, real quick, can you like tell us about the DC implosion? I've never talked to a creator who was in, uh, affected by it. So you know what that what that whole period, you know how they told you and you know I, you I know. was so new that I really wasn't privy to a lot of what was going on. I had, but even as a even as a freelancer, yeah, like right. hey, sorry, it's we're, exactly you know. what it was. I mean, I went up because I used to go up to the office and I'd sit with Paul and pitch him stories and go over the scripts or whatever. And one day I went up there, and it was like you know the classic thing. And Paul, I didn't go in. Paul came out to the waiting room and sat down with me and basically said, "Well, this is going on, and we're having these cutbacks, and we're canceling these books." And there's not going to be any work for a while. And that wow. was that. And I had just written my first 22-page full-length story. It was, it was a, a book-length Weird War Tales story. And to go back that far in time, you know, I'm in my early 20s or whatever it was. I was okay. I was playing in a band, you know, living in a house with five roommates. So I got I got whatever that check was for that one story. And I think I lived off it for the entire summer. <laughs> wow. And it was probably, you know, 300 bucks or something but you know between playing in the band and that check i got to pay my rent buy some pizza and do what i had to do you know <laughs> i can't do that now you know that's excellent robert lee jefferson cofill yeah and he says can y'all talk about how he took a group of misfits and made a really interesting book jli and dc hasn't made any other type of story like this in any medium wow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm assuming the anger. You know, the, 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 uh, without it's, it's you know without getting into the whole long version of it. Basically, it started with Keith and with Andy Helfer. Keith was dying to write Justice League, and Andy was the editor. Andy, one of the best editors to ever sit behind a desk at DC or in any other company in the history of comics, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they came up with the basic premise. Keith was going to write it himself. And uh, then basically chickened out is what it boiled down to. He, he, did not, <laughs> he did not have the confidence at that point, even though he he had the skill. He just sure he does he just, absolutely. He just didn't think at that point that he could do it. But he could have done it then if he wanted to. I'm glad he didn't, for my sake, you know. And and I had I had just written the the end of the Detroit League, like a four issue uh, thing where we. We killed off the all those characters, Vibe and Steel and everything. Vibe, Gypsy. By the way, Vibe having a lovely uh, resurgence right. Uh, right. thanks to television. Nobody goes away. They all come back. In here. <laughs> um, and so Andy pulled me in to do the dialogue, and something magical happened. You know, it was Andy who found Kevin McGuire. Uh, it was Andy who thought of putting uh, me and Keith together, and it was Andy who was the steward of that book and made sure – we didn't go off the rails because, you know, if you leave Keith alone, he's going to go bananas. If you leave me alone, I'm going to write so much dialogue on the page that there'll be no room for the pictures, you know. <laughs> and, you know, Andy was really an integral part of that. Um, and it just happened. It, you know, it, 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 you know, you can't make chemistry happen. And what happened with that book was this chemical reaction that just magically happened. And I say this, and it's true. We didn't even begin to realize how good it was until 10 years later when we got back together for a formerly known as the Justice League. You know, we yeah. did our gig. We did our five years. We went our separate ways. That was a fun gig. Okay. And then when we got back together, all of us, me, Keith, and Kevin, we all kind of went, wow, this is really good what we do. This is really – but it took us that long to figure it out. 
you know, cause, wow. you know, you're working in the trenches. It's just, you, you know, it's, it's one more gig, you know, you're working on a lot of projects and here's this gig and it's a success and that's great. But it took all that span of time to really realize how good it was. And I've been doing projects with Keith and Kevin on and off ever since. That's awesome. I finally met uh, Kevin uh, at uh, Cincinnati uh, Cincy Comic Con mm -hmm. this past fall. Great guy. Did you get really nice Did you conversation. Him and do a show with him or anything? I intend to. We and he said absolutely. No, we will. We will he's eventually. Where, where is Andy Helfer these days? Andy is in uh, New York City. And, and what does he do? And uh, you know, I, uh, I I'm not quite sure. I know he was doing. Uh, he was, I know he was doing some graphic novels for straight publishers and packaging books and things like that. He's okay. uh, he, he's keeping himself busy. He is so smart and so talented. He's also, you know, sometimes ed there are editors that are really, really good editors, and that's what they do. Andy was also, a and is, a superb writer, you know? Um, I do. Didn't he co-write, didn't he write The Shadow he, with Kyle Baker? Uh, yes. He wrote The Shadow and Justice, Inc., and he did, did a bunch of things. Yes. Very, you know, so I, I can't say enough good things about Andy, and also just... Uh, Andy Helfer and I actually, we, I met I met him when he really first started at DC. You know, like his first day as an intern, and we became friends pretty quickly. We discovered that we grew up across the street from each other. Crazy. And didn't even know he was like five years younger. Which, when you're a kid, you know, right? That's years, a yeah, lifetime. Like a yeah. Golf, but literally, <laughs> I could have like crossed the street from my house and gone up in the elevator and r rung Andy's doorbell. You know, when I was growing up. That's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, you know, I and and it's totally cool if you're if you're not able to, but yeah, if you have current contact information, there's another guy I'd love to talk okay. to too. Well, I mean, I'll see. I'll 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 see. I'll I'll get in touch with him. See if he's interested. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. No, you know, who the hell is this guy? Well, who do you have me talking to? <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want to talk to him. Uh, Shane Blinn asks any uh, about his odd news, of course, and you kind of intimated that there might be. I did. Oh, I thought you no. Excuse me, you said August, Augusta Wind, but I guess. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. If only there were about his odd news, I would be very happy. I would be screaming it from the rooftops. But unfortunately, no. That said, I never give up hope that one one way, shape, or form, we're going to finagle a way to get that that story back out into the world and finally finish it. Is it tied up over at yeah. uh, Disney with Hyperion and all? Because uh, yeah. as I recall, that is what you t told us uh, last time we talked that's, about it. That's still where it is. But uh, okay, I'm waiting for somebody at Disney to wake up one morning and go. Oh, oh my God! We own this. We better, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, or maybe like it could be like an asset trade, the way Al Michaels uh, uh, going from uh, Disney and ABC to NBC to do Sunday Night Football, and they were trying to make it an equitable deal. And somebody on the Disney side said, "Hey, uh, can we have Oswald right. Rabbit back right. because it was Walt's first creation?" And they're like, "Oh, okay." I'm going to give Keith Giffen to Disney. <laughs> And in return, I will get the right to box. Up. I'm glad we sorted excellent. that out. I am so glad we sorted that out. <laughs> Did you say edit that out or no? What? What? No, you didn't say. You said I'm glad we sorted that yeah, out. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ryan Cheshire. Okay. Get him to give us the. Oh yeah, we just did this. Uh, Dimitrius, get him to give us the correct pronunciation of his name. Right, right. And then, uh, and he asked about the DC reboot. He says, "Will it affect Justice League 3001?" It seems like uh, that's not going to happen. So, uh, or hopefully not. Hopefully not. We, time will tell. Time will okay, tell. fair. Say, all right, there you go. All I can say is it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a dangerous market out there. So that's why I keep saying if people are into this book, support this book and be vocal about it with DC. That's all I can say. Okay. Henry uh, Barajas asks, I thought the new Thundercats cartoon was too high concept for today's audience. Why do you think it didn't get renewed for another season? 
Um, I thought it was a great show. Uh, I, uh, I, I agree Mike, with you. Michael Jelinek, who's a producer uh, that I've worked with on Legion of Superheroes, A Brave and the Bold, Teen Titans, and, and, yep. and so I've been writing for the new Scooby-Doo show, too. So he's, he's involved. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, he was one of the masterminds of that Thundercats uh, revival, and I thought it was they, – they, they did it in a way that if you knew the old show and you loved those characters, it's still it, it, they were still there, and yet they expanded it and they made it a little bit more mature and like more like modern fantasy. And uh, I think the reason it got canceled had nothing to do with ratings or the quality of the show. One of the things that drives TV animation is toy sales, like it or not. And I, I believe, and if anyone's out there that, that 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 thinks I'm wrong, please correct me. I believe that the Thundercats did not generate enough toy sales, and that's what ultimately killed it. I understand, and I've had that conversation with people about the Green Lantern series. I loved that, that show. Oh god, everybody loved yeah. that show, but like you said, the toys didn't sell. Yeah, and and you know, again, when you guys were writing for uh, Justice League Unlimited, and people were like, why did it stop? And it's like because the age demographic they were aiming at, the numbers weren't there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but it's a great adult series. It's like, yeah, but when you're when you're on a, a television network that is aiming at the time, it's you know programming primarily to that Y seven audience. It doesn't matter how many 35-year-olds are enjoying the show. Well, but Justice League had a good run, at least. You know what I mean? Absolutely, it Thundercats did. Thundercats died before its time. It could have, I, it, They could have gone on for years with that because there was such a rich mythology to, to develop there. Couldn't agree more. Um, uh, uh, Artistine Haspiel asks, uh, what's it like uh, working with Artistine Haspiel? <laughs> <laughs> He's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Dean, <laughs> Dean is a great guy and a great artist, and uh, I would, I would, I would love to work with artist Dean Haspiel again very soon. <laughs> you did stuff with him on the Fox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And is it is it already? Forgive me. Is it already out? Because I did read that first arc, and I, I haven't. You know the, the the series that came out last year or a year and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And okay, that's, it was yeah. actually great because Dean and Mark Wade were doing the lead story. Mike Cavallaro, Cavallaro and I would yes the backup story, and then in the last issue. The two storylines collided, and Dean and I did the last issue together. That's right, and there was the Shield, right? Yeah, Mike and I were doing the Shield in the backup. Yeah, and they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah, I was thinking more directly that you were working with Dean, well, and I guess you guys did, or maybe you did on that final. The yeah, that last was, issue was me and Dean together. Yeah. Oh, wow, like, I've man. known Dean for quite a few years now through Mike. Actually, uh, they were from the same art studio, and uh, yes, he's just a great guy and so talented. Another like really unique one-of-a-kind talent. You know, you, some people, like, they just have their voice, and they're born with that voice. They don't have to find their voice, and Dean is like that. Dean is Dean. You can't mistake him for anybody else. Absolutely, and what I love is he comes up with his his off-the-wall creator-owned stuff, yeah. and then also will take even something like Archie and the Fox and is able to, you know, kind of put his spin on yes. it, but also make it interesting. Or, got it, his Marvel, in, his Marvel work even, yeah. you know, good God. Has been excellent, and clearly the guy loves the Marvel universe. Yes, yeah, you know. So yeah, and his PCAR work. No, I'm a I, Dean's been on the show and will be again. Big big fan of Dean. He's a great guy. So, absolutely. Blaine Dowler asks, and I think this will be the last uh, okay. question because I appreciate your time. Uh, what professional achievement so far are you the most proud of? Oh God, that's a that's a huge question. The essay question, exactly. <laughs> oh, I, 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 you know, I can't pick one thing. I've been doing this so long that throw a bunch. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I would. Yeah, I, whenever anybody asks like that, what's the one? It's like no. There's. No I did one. a list there's on like my 50. website of like you know like maybe like ten or twelve of my favorite projects. You know, so 
Moonshadow. You know, Moonshadow, Abadazad, Brooklyn Dreams. Uh, yes. You know, a lot of the creator-owned stuff is because it's so personal is really near and dear to my heart. Seekers, I have to plug Seekers into the Mystery, which was a Vertigo series that I did back in the 90s, uh, being collected by Dover Books. It's going to be out uh, sometime this year. All 15, Excellent. All 15 issues in one massive book with extras and all kinds of things. They did. A, they, all, they brought out uh, another Vertigo, Vertigo project of mine called Mercy. came out in May. Through Dover. Oh, cool. They're doing a whole line of, of, of these wonderful, bringing stuff back in print. And so Seekers, uh, you know, the first... We've had we've had a collection of the first five issues. The whole thing has never been collected, so I'm really excited about that. But that's certainly on the list, you know. And then, uh, sure. you know, going sane, uh, Saber Twenty Eight, my work on Spider Man, my work with Keith. There's so Great. many wonderful things that I've, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time. A and B, I've been so lucky in that I have worked with so many great collaborators, you know. So. I could, I could make a list, you know, twice as long, you know, because I finished that list of 10 products and I go, oh, great, what about that thing I did with Mark Badger? What about the Man Thing series I did with Liam Sharp, you know? What, you know, what about this? What, what about Blood with Kent Williams? There's so many things. Uh, I like it. So, That's excellent, yeah. man. No, I, I and truly, that is the right answer. And you have had that kind of body of work that I can appreciate and that. And I, I'm have, really... I have to say, there's also on the underbelly of that body of work a whole lot of stuff I never want to talk about. <laughs> So there is that too, you know? Well, that's, you know, honestly, Mark, that's the thing I, I really do because of today's social media, every story gets shit hammered yeah. if it, if it doesn't click. And I always default to all the guys trying to do is tell a story. And if it's left of center of what the character was, at least give them the benefit of the doubt of, yeah, they were trying to do something different with template a, and, and you thing. can't blame them for that. Here's the other thing. And then we should probably wrap up because we've been talking Absolutely. for three weeks now. Um, <laughs> Just the, two things about what you just said. One is it's true about everything now because of the because of the internet. Like you can't watch a TV series and they can't like write an overview. Every episode has to be parsed. Comics come out and every issue is reviewed. Well, this third panel wasn't as good as the third panel in the issue before. You know, it's like yep. You know, after a certain point, that's not reviewing. That's like dissect dissecting a frog. You know, um, <laughs> and so. There's not a chance for things to breathe and look at the big picture and, like, wait six issues and then see what you think about it, you know, or wait six episodes or whatever it may be. So there's that. And then there's the thing of, you know, just because something comes out and doesn't do well, I've had work and I've seen it. You know, it's, it always amazes me. So I, I have some series that came out, oh, you know, 20 years ago and got a terrible reception. And suddenly now I'm at conventions. And people keep coming up to me with these books to sign. Telling one, one, one thing that comes up, I did a Spectre series for DC in like 2000. I remember well. Hal Jordan, yes. Yeah, and, and I poured my heart and soul into that one. And I'm telling you, based on what I saw at the time, everybody hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. I remember reading and it. it was absolutely, like, I think the people that like, like wanted Hal Jordan to be Green Lantern again hated it because he wasn't Green Lantern. Exactly. The people that wanted the old Spectre who shredded people, you know, turned into a giant cheese grater. Jim Corrigan, yes, indeed. Hated it for that. And then, you know, in recent years, everywhere I go, I keep running into people who not only, like, loved it, but it really mattered to them. It touched their hearts. It changed their lives in some way. And it's like, that's amazing. You know, you mentioned Captain America before. Oh, it was a great run. But when it was coming out, nobody really, you know, nobody noticed it really. Nobody praised it particularly. And then, then years go by, and then it pops up again. And I see this with so many projects that come out and sink or, or it seemed to get no reaction, and then years later someone goes, this is the best thing I ever read. It meant so much to me, you know? So you never know. And then the thing that gets praised 
that you do, you know, that comes out, it's a big hit. Could be, you know, 10 years later, nobody even cares about it. So sure, you, sure. you just never know, you know, and if you want to ask anybody, find the ghost of Orson Welles and ask him, you know, <laughs> yeah. that during his lifetime, and I'm not in any way, shape or form comparing myself to Orson Welles. I just happen to love Orson Welles. So I bring him up. I, I agree with you. That Chimes at Midnight, you know, which came out and couldn't get heart, barely got released here. And the critics eviscerated it, you know, just got re-released. It's Orson Welles' masterpiece. You know what I mean? So like yes, in 1965, yes. it wasn't, a, it was a piece of crap and now it's a masterpiece. So who knows? And as creators, all we can do is do the best we can and tell the best stories we can and let the chips fall where they may, you know? The connective tissue is, I think, honestly, you you reach some resonant emotion in the character, whether it's a creator-owned character or Captain America, Craven, Spider-Man, the Joker in Going Sane. And and I think that it does, and, and certainly Hal Jordan's uh, time as the Spectre and stuff. And yeah, it hits a chord with people. And you're right. I mean, and unfortunately, you know, yeah. Well, the good news is, is sometimes history corrects uh, the initial right. response. And and yeah, I, I remember that hated hate-filled Green Lantern period. Yeah, so. yeah, it was. It, yeah, and and then so you know, you never know. And and, yes. and the bottom line is, when you're sitting in your office writing, it's you and the story, and that's what matters. And then if it goes out into the world and it touches somebody's heart, if it touches one person's heart, who could ask for anything more? And I really mean that. It's like when someone comes up to me and and some story that I've written really matters to them not like oh it was just entertaining but it really made them think or it moved them in some way that's the greatest thing in the world you can't ask for anything more yeah no very cool man you've been a mensch uh, staying on the, as long as you have i'm gonna i'm, I'm reprieving you okay. <laughs> Let me go. absolutely bad blood it's out february 2nd uh justice league 3001 issue 8 is uh already on uh, newsstands as we're releasing this right. uh episode and uh, Augusta Wind coming later this year. Right, and the uh, Seekers in the Mystery Collection, and uh, and maybe by this time next year, a TV series coming to a television set near you. That'd be huge, and you do have to promise that we will talk again late spring when your next announcement is made, and we're closer to uh, Augustus Wind coming out in the summer, but we'll find out whatever this pending DC news might be. All right, sounds good. Keep it up, man. Well done, Mark. And honestly, I, I appreciate the time and uh, and thank you for coming on and and giving us your point of view of, of not only your work, but what's going on these days. Great. Thanks. Good to talk to you as always. So there you go. Interesting thoughts from uh, Mark DiMatteis to wrap things up on today's Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. We're going into February. More interesting talk on the way with great new guests and wonderful return guests as well on Word Balloon. I hope you will join us for the adventure every week and learn more about uh, the writing process, the art process, and uh, just what's happening in the geek market with the Word Balloon guests. Today's episode was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Ex- excellent deals are happening uh, at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great prices. You won't believe it until you see it for yourself. Uh, things like, uh, how about going back to Devin Grayson's run on The Black Widow? It was a wonderful run back in the day. J.G. Jones doing the art. Uh, there's uh, the Itsy Bitsy Spider uh, featuring Devin and Greg Rucka and J.G. Jones. And uh, Is it Scott Hampton or Bo, or Bo Hampton? It's Scott Hampton. There you go. 42% off. It's just $11.59. You can get the Ultraman graphic novel. Uh, wonderful manga stuff from Viz. Uh, volume 3 is 30% off, $9.09. You can get Lazarus from Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Volume 4, Poison. It just wrapped up. Uh, man, I'm telling you, it really is one of my favorite image series. 
uh, 45% off, just $8.24. You can get uh, Insufferable from Mark Wade and Pete Krause, Peter Krause. 30% off for volume one of Insufferable. It's uh, $13.99. Hope to have Mark on soon. It's been far too long since Mark Wade has been on board. Uh, just a few of the great books that are on sale now at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping and uh, just great deals that are waiting for you now at InStockTrades.com. John Sutcher saying thanks for listening to Word Balloon. I hope your January was just lovely. Uh, if you uh, got stuck with the blizzard last weekend, I hope you have shoveled your way out and are uh, back to uh, normal uh, life. And uh, if not, and if you're still snowbound, well, you know, just download a word balloon and uh, we'll keep you company for an hour or so with great conversation in the geek culture. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.